I tell you, it's exciting to see these graduates. As Kirk mentioned, uh, many of them we've seen grow up, uh, from even from the nursery. And it's exciting to see them continue to progress as young adults. And we get to celebrate that with them. And uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about you guys in a few minutes. But I wanted to start today by asking a, a, a question. Have you ever had any conversations that you knew you needed to have, but you really didn't want to have them? And, and not necessarily bad conversations, just difficult conversations. Conversations that really needed the right moment to come along. And so we have these conversations. You know, if, I, if the right time comes along, I need to talk to this person about this. And, and the right time never comes along. In, in, our, in our family, uh, we had three girls first. So I, I thought it was a good idea for, for Gay to have, you know, the talk, the conversation. We had three girls. To get, so, so we scheduled that. And, and we said, when they get this age, and, and we, we planned some neat things to kind of have that coming of age. And, and, and they had that talk. Well, Wilson came along. And when he grows up, one day we're going to have that conversation. Uh, but uh, do you have those conversations that are, that are difficult, that are hard, that are awkward? Maybe with parents or, or with children, that, kind of that end-of-life conversation. That, that's a conversation that you know you need to have, but it, it's, you just need the right time. And, and too often we get to the right time, but it's, it's too late. And, and we wish we'd had that conversation earlier. Uh, another one I remember in, in my life is, is it was the day that I was going to propose to Gay. The weekend before, I had, had been over to their house and had dinner, and it was around 4th of July. Our first date was 4th of July, uh, and so I decided I would propose on, 4th of, on the 4th of July. And I was over and was visiting with uh, Gay's mom after dinner uh, the weekend before, and she said, so what are y'all doing on the 4th of July? And, and I kind of smiled, and she said, oh, really? <laughs> and then I said, yeah, really? And, and would you tell Bob, my Gay's dad? And she said, no, <laughs> that's a conversation you need to have. So I had this great idea. I had planned. We were having dinner. I was making dinner for her and, and was going to ask her to marry me that night. And, and so that morning I thought we'll go play golf with, with her dad. And so it was the two of us going out because we never, the right time had just not happened. And I thought, well, we'll, we'll, I'll ask him before we get to the golf course, and, and everything will be fine. And so we get to the golf. It wasn't the right time. We were in the car, and we were talking about different things, and it wasn't the right time. And so we get on the golf course. Surely in the front nine, we can. But it wasn't the right time. We had some good shots and some bad shots, and, and same thing on the back nine. It just wasn't the right time. And we get in the car to go home, and I'm thinking, wow, <laughs> the right time better hurry up. Because I'm proposing to his daughter in, in about two and a half or three hours, if everything goes okay with this conversation. So sure enough, I get up the courage, and, and on the way home, I, I say, Bob, I'd like to marry your daughter, and we have the conversation, and he gives me his blessing. Have you ever had the need to have those conversations, but just wasn't the right time, and if we're not careful, then it becomes an urgent time, and we have, to, we have to have that conversation, and we hope we don't ever wait too late. And as I look at a couple of stories in the Scripture today, I'm reminded of that. 
the importance of, of having conversations. And, and, and particularly, we look at a couple of guys, and we're only going to focus on one, but, but there was a couple of guys that I thought they really wanted to talk to Jesus. They wanted to have some in-depth and heart-to-heart conversation with Jesus, but the, the right time just didn't ever happen. And, and soon the right time became, uh-oh, I, I need to hurry, and it became urgent. I wonder if that's what happened with Nicodemus. John chapter 3 is, is Nicodemus was a leader of the Pharisees. He was an important person. And, and then when you read that story in John 3, you just have this idea that, that Nicodemus wanted to find the right time to talk to Jesus. And, and yet because he was a leader, he had to be careful about who he, he could be seen with and when that conversation could take place. And finally, John 3 tells us, it, it appears that the right time was, well, he found him at night. When there weren't a lot of people around, and, and we don't even know how many of the disciples were there with him, but, but Nicodemus found Jesus, and they, they had a conversation about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And, and I almost think that that's what may have happened with the rich young ruler. Uh, the rich young ruler story is told in, in I think, the, uh, in, in the three Gospels, in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we're looking at this story that, that Connor read in Matthew chapter 19. So if you have your scriptures, turn to Matthew 19 and verse 16. And we see the story of this young man. Now, when we read all the accounts of this story in the three Gospels, it's when we learn that he, he's rich, he's young, and he's a, a ruler, an authority. I think Luke is the one that indicates that he's a ruler, a, has authority. And he's a guy which in that culture meant a lot. And, and you just get the sense that he wanted to have this conversation with, with Jesus, and he wanted to talk to him about, about eternal life and, and important things, the, the kingdom of heaven, and the right time just didn't ever show up. And it's interesting that in Mark's account of this, in Mark chapter 10, it says that Jesus was on his way on, an, on a new journey. That Jesus had been teaching in this particular area, and then he and his disciples had decided it was time to leave that area and to go to a different place. And in the Gospel of Mark, we see this young man running up to Jesus as they are preparing to, to leave on their trip, almost out of breath. Jesus, I, I've been wanting to talk to you. I've been wanting to have this conversation, but it was never the right time. And he gets down on his knee, and he, he begins to ask questions and to talk to Jesus, around the, surrounded by the disciples. Oh, he wanted to have this conversation, but couldn't find the right time. And now, in the urgency of the moment, he goes and he asks Jesus. Significant and important question. Jesus, teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Jesus, tell me, what is it that, that I have to do? What is it that I, I need to, to accomplish? What, what work do I need to perform? What do I need to do to, in, to inherit, to obtain, to possess eternal life? Now, another characteristic that, that, that Mark tells us is that Jesus had compassion and love for this young man. Remember, Jesus is always being trapped. He, he's always being challenged. He's always being baited into conversations that are going to 
cause him trouble. And, and we see Jesus often being angry with the Pharisees or the, the scribes as they would try to, to trap him and to cause him to lose disfavor. But this young man, when he comes to Jesus, I, I think he comes sincere. I, I think he comes honestly before the Lord and, and he says, Jesus, tell me. Tell me what I have to do in order to, to gain, to, to possess to have eternal life. You know, I've got so much that the world has to offer. I have all the, the material things that I need. I'm, I'm young and I'm healthy. I have authority and influence. But you can just kind of read between the lines. But, but I'm not real sure about this eternal life. And look what Jesus says. Why, why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, into eternal life, then keep the commandments. Did you see how Jesus kind of changes the, the paradigm? The rich young ruler comes to him and says, Jesus, what can I do to, to possess, to, to, to own, to hold, to... Uh, to have eternal life. It's almost as if it's, it's some kind of a thing that he wants to, to put on his bookshelf so that he can say, look, everyone, I have eternal life. Or, or maybe it's like a, a fire insurance policy, right? I, I've got this policy, and, I, and I've got it tucked away in my files, and whenever I need it, it's there, and I can pull it out, and I can, can redeem it. Jesus, what, what do I need to do to obtain this eternal life? And you notice what Jesus says? He, he shifts the language very subtly. He says, if you wish to enter into eternal life. I think Jesus is trying to, to teach us and to show us that eternal life is not something that you possess. It's not something that you earn. It's not a trophy that you put on the bookshelf. It's not something that you win. It's not something that you work towards. Rather, eternal life is life. It's a life that's not just about the future. It's a life that you engage in. It's a life that you experience and walk in now, today. Don't, don't think about how can I obtain this eternal life that's way out there and will do me good one day, but, but Lord, how can I enter into eternal life now? How can I begin to, to walk eternally today? Understanding that if I enter into eternal life now, that it will certainly take me on in to eternity. And so Jesus, with compassion and with love, tries to help this young man to understand that, you know, there, there's not some great adventure. There's not some great deed that you can do. There's not some huge financial gift that you can give that's going to allow you to obtain or to buy or to purchase eternal life. No, eternal life is a life that you enter into and that you live each and every day. Notice that Jesus said to obey the commandments. Isn't it interesting what this young man says? Okay, Jesus, I, I can do that. He still hasn't quite got it. Okay, Jesus, I can do that. I can obtain that. I, I, which ones? 
You know, the, the first five books of the Bible are the law. They're, they're the commandments. Okay, there's a lot there, Jesus. Which ones? And Jesus begins to focus his attention on the Ten Commandments, on the second tablet of the Ten Commandments that deal with our relationship with, with others. And don't commit adultery. Don't commit murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your mom and dad. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you can just hear him checking them off in his mind. Oh, good, good, good. Lord, I, I've done all those. Where's my certificate? Right? Where's my pen? I, I've accomplished those things. I've attained eternal life. But then he asks the follow-up question. So you know there's, there's something that's stirring within him. is stirring in his heart. But, but Lord, what's lacking because you see, I've done all those things and, and there's something that's still lacking or I wouldn't be here. Those of us that, that commit ourselves to nothing but law-keeping, commandment-keeping, ultimately find ourselves empty because keeping a list of rules and laws does not fulfill and does not lead us into eternal life. What am I lacking? Can you relate to that question? Can you relate to this young man who's done everything right in life? He's like our college graduates, right? He's done everything right. He, he's gone to school. He's, he's learned. He's, he's been righteous. He's, he's gone to church, right? He knows the law and he's practiced it. He's got his degree. He's, he's rich. The opportunities are out there for him. He's going to have influence and position. But still, the question comes back to him, what's lacking? What, what, what am I missing? Why, why am I still have this sense of emptiness. How tragic in life to climb the ladder of success only to discover when you get to the top of the ladder and you look over the side that there's nothing there but emptiness. There's nothing there but wilderness. Oh, to discover that we have climbed the ladder of life to learn that we have put our ladder against the wrong wall. And how many of us, how many of us know people, how many of us know deep within that we've, we've done what we thought was right, we've done what people have told us to do, and if we could just find out what that one more thing to do was, that maybe this emptiness, maybe this lacking would go away. But I can't help but believe that this young man's sense of emptiness, his sense of lacking, wasn't just about the future and, and just about obtaining a guarantee that, that he would have eternal life one day. I can't help but believe that this young man's lack or emptiness was not just about the future, but it was about something that was missing in his presence, in his present. There was something that, that he didn't get. There was, there was something that was missing in his life. And he came to Jesus 
to have that conversation before Jesus left and may not ever be back that way again. And listen to the words that Jesus shares with this rich young man. He says, if you wish to be complete, what am I still lacking? Where where am I empty? Jesus says, if you wish to be complete, if you wish to be filled, if, if you wish to not be empty anymore, then go and sell all that you have. And give it to the poor and you'll, you'll be storing up treasures in heaven. You'll, you'll have an incredible wealth laid up for yourself in heaven. And then come and follow me. And now the gospel of Matthew all throughout is consist, consistently carries through this theme. But, but in the story of the rich young ruler, Jesus helps us to understand that the kingdom of God reverses the truths and the pursuits of the kingdoms of this earth. In the kingdom of God, in order to be filled, in order to be complete, in order to receive, you have to empty yourself. You have to give. Because it's in being made empty that we can be filled and made complete. Remember the example of Jesus. Philippians 2 is that beautiful Christological hymn that that the early church would sing and share in in Philippians 2, verses uh, around 5 through 11 or 12. And in that beautiful story and testimony of, of Jesus, God the Son, it says that he came and he emptied himself. And Jesus is telling this, this young man, you've got all this stuff and your life is full of, of, of stuff and of fame and of position and of power and, and yet you tell me you're empty? Well, if you want to be complete, if you want to ultimately be filled, then guess what? You have to empty yourself of all that. That's what I did. That's what Jesus is saying he did. He emptied himself. There's, there's mystery there, but the scripture is very clear. He emptied himself upon his father's request. And he came and he took on the form of a, a, a man, of a, a bondservant. And if you'll read through the end of those verses, the fulfillment of this truth comes because the one who emptied himself is the one who everyone will bow and every knee bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. Jesus empties himself and the Father exalts him. The same thing he's trying to communicate to this young man. If you'll empty yourself of these things, then guess what? You'll be filled. You'll be complete in me. In Matthew 13, verse 44, Jesus tells a kingdom parable He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field. A treasure in a field that's been discovered. And and this man who discovers this treasure with joy, with enthusiasm, he goes and he sells everything that he has. He fully liquidates all that he has. And he goes and he buys that field. Why? Because in that field there's treasure. There's treasure 
that will meet all of his needs. And Jesus is saying the same thing to this young man. You need to go and liquidate. You need to get rid of everything. Get rid of all of your treasures. And come and follow after me. You need to empty yourself so that you can experience a new treasure. A new treasure called eternal life. But the scripture tells us that our young man was very rich. He was very rich and he was very successful. And he had a future that had position and influence and power and great comfort ahead. And what he heard Jesus saying was that you've just asked me to give away everything. And now you're getting ready to go on a journey that I don't know where you're going. I don't know if you'll ever be back. And you're telling me to go get rid of all that that I found comfort and that I found pleasure in and I found security in. And not just to give that up, but now to come and follow you. Everybody here knows who I am. Everybody here listens to what I have to say. And you want me to go with you? Well, maybe in the next village or the next village, they won't even know who I am. And you're asking me to give all of that up as well? And Jesus says, come and follow me. Verse 22 tells us this young man's decision that he went away grieving. He went away sad because his treasure, his treasure was in his wealth and in his possession. Eternal life was just something he was trying to gain. He was trying to obtain. He wanted to add that to his treasures, to, to his wealth. Matthew six twenty one in the Sermon on the Mount Jesus tells us that where our treasure is, that is the place where our heart will be. You see, Jesus is always calling us to to store our treasures in heaven. Not on earth where they can be destroyed or stolen or lost or rust away. Jesus invites this young man to, to begin to store treasures in heaven, but because his heart was with the treasures of earth, he went away sad because he was not able or willing to enter into the journey of eternal life. And Jesus follows up this story as we we would understand that the disciples were there. We don't know if other people were there, but at least the disciples were there. And and Jesus says something very difficult to his disciples as this young man walks away very sad. And Jesus, again, had compassion and love for this man. And he's just wanting him to, to understand this is how you can be filled. This is how your emptiness can be taken care of. And Jesus makes the comment how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. How difficult it is for that person who has treasures on this earth to enter into heaven. Wealth cannot buy salvation. Education cannot buy salvation. Power and influence cannot buy salvation. Not even being young 
can buy our salvation. Yes, these are all things that can create self-sufficiency. And in that self-sufficiency, we are often at a place of not being able to move forward because we want to hold on to so tightly and grasp so dearly the things of this world. Again, the things of this world are not necessarily bad. It's the love of money that we're warned against. But when these things become our treasures, when these things become that place where our heart is, they can be detrimental to our faith. And we must be careful because there's a, a theology, there's a belief today that, that when we have wealth, when we have education, when we, we have power and influence, that somehow that means that we have received God's blessing and that it's just as affirming our salvation. That, I think, was the, the difficult thing that these disciples were having. Well, well if this young man who is, is wealthy, if this young man who is, who, who is powerful and influential, if this young man can't have eternal life, if he can't obtain it, if he can't buy it, then who can? Who can be saved? The disciples were shocked. They, were, they didn't know what to understand and to believe. Who can be saved? Jesus reminds his disciples that his teaching has been consistent throughout. In Matthew 16, verse 24, listen to Jesus as he instructs his disciples. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul. Where is your treasure today? Is your treasure about gaining the whole world? Then surely you will lose your soul. But if your wish is to discover your soul, if your wish is to enter into eternal life, then we must deny ourselves. We must empty ourselves so that we can be filled with the presence and the Spirit of God. Who can be saved? If, if this rich person can't be saved, then who can be saved? And again, Jesus says in verse 26, with God, all things are possible. You cannot save yourself. You cannot obtain your own salvation. You cannot go out and, and, and earn eternal life. Yet Jesus invites each of us to come and enter into eternal life and to, to follow after Him. This morning, I think if, if, if we were truthful with each other, we would all say there are areas of my life that are, that are lacking. There are areas of my life that are, that are empty. You know, I thought if I pursued this degree or I thought if I pursued this relationship, I, I thought if I had a job with this company, I thought if we lived in this neighborhood, I thought if we had these toys that I would find fulfillment and happiness 
and completion. But there's something that still is lacking. This morning we encounter Jesus just as the rich young ruler. And he says to us, if you wish to be complete, come and follow me. And certainly that looks differently for each of us because each of us have different treasures that our heart struggles over. The Lord would come to us today and say, where is your treasure? Where, where do you desire your treasure to be? Where is your heart? And anything that would conflict with, anything that would challenge your heart and your treasures, go, sell, give, and come and follow me. Are you empty today? Are, are you lacking today? Do you wish to be complete? Come, follow Jesus. What hinders you this morning? Let's pray.